Well, it's good to be in church tonight, isn't it? Would you put your hands together and let our worship band and our tech team, all of them, know how much you appreciate them. They work very, very hard. Uh, So good to be with you tonight. I'm excited about getting into this message. And if you look at your Bible on your tablet or your phone, uh, or if you have like an actual Bible, uh, you know, Ephesians 4, uh, you can go there. And I want to just say it's good to always have an opportunity to share with you what God has placed on my heart. Thank you for praying for Pastor. And we're all so excited about the progress that he's making, looking forward to when he's like in full steam ahead, which is where he actually likes to be, as you well know. Uh, if you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. I want to encourage you to go ahead and take out your phone or your tablet or a pen, uh, because I think some things that we're going to walk through tonight is going to be helpful for us. I want to take you over to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just say to you ahead on the front end of this talk that normally that when you look at this passage it's, it's looked at in a little bit different light than how we're going to look at it tonight. You'll see this as we get a little more into this. This is Paul, as we well know, this great church leader, seasoned veteran, and he's writing some things that are very, very helpful in the context of the local church. And so we're going to look at this together, and then I want us to talk about it uh, for the next few moments. The guys are going to put it up on the screen. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 11 and read down through verse 15. So here it is. He said, uh, he writes it this way, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. A lot of scholars put those two together, pastor, teacher, sort of synonymous, synonymous with one another, to prepare God's people for words of service so that, and these are the things we're going to talk about primarily tonight, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach what? in the faith, and in the, what's this word here? We're going to talk about it, of the Son of God and become, this is really what we're going to talk about here, become what? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. We've got to grow up eventually, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, and I want everybody to read this last portion with me. Help me out right here. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. And I want to talk to you about that tonight. I want to talk to you about let's grow. Let's Let's really become everything that God intended for us to be. Now, and I have all due respect for something that I'm going to mention to you, so I don't want to be misunderstood here. But uh, a lot of times it's easy for us. I grew up in the church. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. uh, I'm so thankful that my parents took me to church when I was young and uh, got to go, you know, Sunday school and then kids' church and and just learning. And I'm thankful for that. But, But how many of you know to just say, well, you know, I've been a part of the church for 10 years, the church like capital C, not necessarily a local, but I've been a part of the church. I've been a part of a church, we might would say you know, for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and that's, that's wonderful. That's good. I'm glad to say that I've been a part of the church for a long, long time, but how many of you know that just belonging to a church or being connected to a church or having a membership of a church does not automatically translate into spiritual growth and maturity? And we almost have to have this, in fact, not almost, we really have to have this willingness to grow spiritually to become everything that God intended. Now, this passage that we looked at, Paul writes to these believers, 
living at Ephesus. So often when we see this particular passage, when it's referenced, it is limited only to conversations, generally speaking, at least a lot of the conversations that I've had wrapped around this passage often have to deal with the fivefold ministry of the church or spiritual gifts to the church. Uh, you know, a lot of times when this passage is read, quite honestly, all that is dealt with is this first portion of the passage. Uh, you know, fivefold ministry of the church. God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and all of those things are true. And all of those things, by the way, are hugely important, but this section of verses is so much richer and so much deeper than this, because the more that you wade into it, as we're going to do tonight, the more that you realize that it is filled with much truth concerning spiritual growth and maturity, which is what we're going to be talking about for the next few moments this evening before we're done. Now, to get us started, I want you to look at a statement by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was like a foremost authority, a writer, uh, a practitioner of spiritual growth, and, and this is what Dallas Willard says. It's a great statement. He says, and this is really what we should aspire to, by the way, he said, a disciple is one of those who have trusted Jesus with their whole life so far as they understand it. Because they have done so, they want to learn everything He has to teach them about life in the kingdom of God now and forever, and they're constantly with Him to learn this. I like what he says, this last portion. Look at it carefully. He said, disciples of Jesus, which is what we want to all be, right? We want to be disciples of Jesus, not just church members, not just church attenders. We want to be disciples of Jesus, and he says, disciples of Jesus are those learning to be like Him. So the real fundamental issue is not, you know, how long have I been a part of the church, but the real issue, when you really look at it, am I increasingly becoming more like Jesus, right? Am I increasingly becoming more like Jesus? Am I, am I really, in the real sense of the word, a disciple? Am I following Jesus? So how can you really know? Because all of us want to grow spiritually. If I was to just sort of go row by row, start over here like this is section one, two, see, you know, do you want to grow spiritually? Yes, yes, yes. Of course I do. I want to grow. Do you want to grow? Yes. Really? Why would you even bother asking me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I want to grow because all of us want to grow. So how do you really know if you're growing? right? I mean, I want to grow spiritually. Don't you wave at me if you want to grow spiritually. If you're not waving your hand, I don't even know why you're here tonight, by the way. But, you know, do you want to grow? And we'd all say, yeah, I want to grow, I want to grow spiritually. Well, how can you really know if you're doing that? And if you are growing spiritually, how can you maybe even uh, accelerate that a little bit? Put your foot on the gas a little bit more and say, you know, how can I become, as Willard said, how can I become increasingly more like Jesus? And that's what a disciple is. So what I want to do for the next few moments, and I'll just go ahead and declare it right up front, I want to give you, out of the passage we just looked at together, Ephesians uh, 4, I, I want to give you six indicators of spiritual growth. This is how you know you're growing, and then I want to give you two or three action steps, and then we're going to be done. So if you've got your tablet ready, your pen, whatever you're going to use tonight, let me give you these six things, and I just want to walk you through them sort of pragmatically. All right, number one, be sure you get it. A growing Christ follower is developing a servant's heart. How do you know that you're growing spiritually? You come to the realization that you are more and more developing the heart of a servant. How can we know that we're maturing spiritually? We're not consumed with ourselves. Now, uh, some of you might would say, well, you know, I've never really, um, you know, that's an easy one for me uh, because I've never really thought about myself. Really? Come on. Ever since we were born, 
we have thought of ourselves. Is that not true? Every sense, that was the problem that Adam and Eve had, fundamentally speaking. They, they had the problem of, hey, I know God wants this, and I know I should do this, but this is what I want. This is what I intend on doing. So all of us have battled with this, uh, you know, some to more or lesser degrees, but we've all struggled with because it's just really easy, quite honestly, to be consumed with ourselves. I love the way, and most all of you have read the book. If you haven't, it's been out forever, best-selling book. Uh, Rick Warren wrote uh, a number of years ago, The Purpose Driven Life, and in it, this is how he starts the book. Those of you that have read it, you know this. He says this, it's not, first sentence, it's not all about you. It's not all about you, and it's not. Sometimes we live that way, especially if we're not really growing spiritually, but it's not all about us, and we shouldn't be consumed with ourselves. A growing Christ follower is developing a servant's heart. You see, the needs and the pain, and by the way, the growth of other people sincerely matter to us, and we're no longer content to just say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, think about people, care about other people, and we have that. In fact, a lot of times, you've heard me mention this sometime before, any of us can sit in our living room or in our den, and we can see something on TV, and we become empathetic about it. We see it, all right? We see it, and it makes us feel sad or sorrowful, or uh, we're like, wow, I can't believe, you know, maybe I ought to do something about that. And all of us are going to feel empathy toward things that may move our heart. But how many of you know that there's a huge, there's this chasm between when I really feel something and when I really do something? There's a big difference between the two. And so, you know, a servant's heart, that's how I know that I'm growing when I'm more and more thinking about other people. I'm not consumed with myself. One theologian has written it this way, the body grows as the individual members grow and they grow. This, listen to what he says, as they feed on the Word, we'll come back to that, as they feed on the Word and as they minister to each other. So six indicators of spiritual growth. Number one, a growing Christ follower is developing a heart of a servant, the heart of a servant. Number two, be sure you get this one. Flowing out of this one, because it's tethered together with the first one, I believe, is an authentic desire to encourage others. See, when I want to serve others, there's this part of me that wants, I want to encourage them. I want to help them. I want to stimulate them towards spiritual growth. Now, this is going back to our passage. passage. We're just going to sort of walk through it uh, piece by piece. Look at verse 12. This is the A part, the first part of the verse. The guys are going to put it up here. Take a look at it with me. God's people, it's talking about God's people. We are to prepare God's people for words of service. Now, say the last part with me. Everybody, let's read this. So that the body of Christ may be built up. We might would insert the word encourage. So that we're to be prepared. God's people. Verse 12 speaks of that, preparing God's people, that's you, that's me, for words of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, may be encouraged. Now, if I understand this text correctly, and I think that I do, then here's what God wants to use church leaders to do. God wants to use, according to what Paul is saying to these Christ followers, these disciples in Ephesus, that God wants to use church leaders to prepare God's people to encourage each other. That, that's what church leaders, that's one of the things that, among other things, that church leaders ought to do, to prepare God's people to encourage each other. Now, uh, we can say that, but what does that actually mean? How can we really accomplish this? And, and I think this is connected to it, and because we're going to move through these six rather rapidly, I'm not going to camp out here, but I think really one of the things that primarily comes into play here is when we say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to become purposeful in discovering our gifts. 
what God has entrusted to us, our gifts, and then what we're going to do is hopefully God's going to give us some passion that meets our gifts to do something that's going to help other people. And I'm going to take the gifts that God has given to me because all of you have them. You've got gifts I have. I have gifts you don't have. We don't all have the same gifts. How many of you are glad of that? How many of you are glad you're not like everybody else, and you're glad everybody else is not like you, and you're like, you know, I'm so glad that when God created other people, He didn't create, you know, them like me because I can hardly get along with me, much less other people. So God's created you uniquely with certain spiritual gifts, and God wants you to use those gifts, those talents, those abilities to leverage them for the good of other people. So when we stand up like we do this time of year and say, you know what, it would be wonderful if you would consider leading a small group. Uh, you know, first of all, you're able to do that. You really, you really are, and it's part of growing. How many of you know that when you're, you're preparing to be used by God, just the preparation alone helps to grow you in your walking relationship with God? It does. When you're, when you're getting ready for a ministry assignment that God has given to you, and you've got to, like, pray about that, and you've got to, like, prepare about that at whatever level that that preparation may be, you're putting yourself in a posture to where God can use you, and because you become dead level serious about that, you know what you're saying? God, I've got to have your help. See, you and I need to more and more be in that place where we can't pull off things apart from God. Are you with me on that? Where, do you ever find yourself in this place where you're saying, And if you're not here, I encourage you to move toward this. God, if you don't help me right here, right now with this assignment, I'm in deep trouble. Because if you're not in that place, it's like what you can do out of your own strength and wisdom and ability and such. And it's like, I, I don't even need God. I can pull this off on my own. And so you want to be in that place. And so when we talk about being a spiritual, uh, you know, like a small group leader and just saying God wants to use you spiritually to help other people, you know, you ought to jump into that. Or you, or you look around and you just see a need and you're like, well, you know, I can't really for whatever reason do a small, I can be a part of guest services. I can get with Pastor Tim and, you know, there I see, you know, I've got sort of a welcoming I've got sort of a welcoming spirit, and, you know, I can help other people. How many of you know that God wants to bless through kind greeters? How many of you know that? Isn't it good when you walk at church and people smile at you, and I see a lot of you doing that rather than, what, what are you doing? You know, sort of the attitude. People don't say, what are you doing here? You know, you don't want that, but people are smiling, kind, and they just have that welcoming kind. And so you need to say, well, you know, maybe I can't lead a small group, but I could, you know, I could be a greeter or I could be an usher. Or maybe you, you like working with kids, and you could say, well, you know what? Maybe God would want to use me. Maybe I can encourage kids, you know? You just like kids. Maybe I can get involved in, like, nursery or early childhood or help, help Pastor John in kids' church and so many different areas. And we could just, I could work with pa- Pastor Teresa. I've got a heart for outreach. And, and really, you know, God says, here's what I want to do, and it's part of, of growth is when you and I put ourselves in a position where we're being used by God. Let me just say this. Let me say this. God has given to you spiritual gifts for a reason, and if God has given you spiritual gifts, He fully intends for you to use them, and if you don't use them, it's not like you're going to lose them, but they might, I said this this morning at Lakeside, you might as well lose them if you're not using them. And so God says, here's what I want to do. I created you, and I have spiritual gifts that I'm going to entrust you, not so that you're going to, I can sit around and say, well, hey, what are your gifts? These are my gifts. What are your? No, it's that we may use them. And how many of you know when we step out in faith and say, God, here I am. This is who I believe you created me to be, and I want to be used by you. And when you and I step out and we trust God to use us in ministry, how many of you know that helps to foster spiritual growth and maturation in our commitment to Christ? Isn't that true? If you just say, well, I can't do it or I'm not going to do it, well, that, you're going to stymie 
your own spiritual growth. And God wants to use us to encourage people, whether it's, uh, you know, like I mentioned, student ministries, tech ministries, whatever it is. There's a story, and I think I shared it here with you. Maybe it's probably been about eight years ago or so, but I want to just share this story. You know, it's just sort of how people think and what you and I could do. It's told by Robert Roberts, and he writes actually about a fourth-grade class in which the teacher introduced a game called, here's the name of the game, the balloon stomp. And in this, he writes, a balloon was tied to every child's leg. When the signal was given, the object of the game was for students, for the students to try to pop everybody else's balloon while protecting their own. The last child with an intact balloon would be the winner. And this writer says, balloon stomp is a zero-sum game. If I win, you lose. Anyone else's successes diminishes my chances. I must regard everyone else as someone to overcome, someone to be pitted against. Balloon stomp, this writer says, is a Darwinian contest, the survival of the fittest. And then he adds, some 10-year-olds are pretty Darwinian, and they entered into the spirit of the thing vigorously. Balloons were relentlessly targeted and destroyed. Some children pretended to be enjoying the game, but were secretly afraid of losing. A few of the children hung shyly on the sidelines, but that didn't help them. Their balloons were doomed just the same. The battle was over in a matter of seconds. Only one balloon was still inflated, and of course, its owner was the most secretly disliked kid in the room. It's hard to win, really hard to win at balloon stomp. Then, Robert writes, a disturbing thing happened. A second grade class was brought in the room to play the same game, only this time it was a class of uh, developmentally challenged children. They too were each given a balloon and the same instructions. The same signal began the game. His writer says, I got a sinking feeling in my midsection. Uh, One of the onlookers is saying, I wanted to spare the kids the pressure of such a competitive brawl. Only this time the game proceeded differently. The instructions were given too quickly to be grasped very well by these children. And so out of the confusion, the one idea that sunk in was that the balloons were supposed to be popped. But instead of fighting each other off, these children got the idea that they were supposed to help one another pop balloons. So they formed a kind of balloon stomp co-op. One boy was getting frustrated because the balloon he was going after wouldn't hold still enough for him to pop it. So the little girl to whom it was tied knelt down and held her balloon carefully in place like the holder for a field goal kicker while the little boy stomped it flat. Then he knelt down and held his balloon still for her to stomp. On and on it went, all the children helping one another in the great stomp. And when the very last balloon was popped, everybody cheered because everybody won. What happened was that they had actually devised a brilliant alternative scoring system. In the new system, students didn't score points against each other, but with each other. People who looked at each other as opponents in the old system became teammates in the new one. People who looked like losers in the old system became winners in the new one. And so this was, you know, I'm not against one another. I'm with you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to help you. And I think if that's going to be indicative anywhere, how many of you know that that ought to be true in the body of Christ? We ought to be the most encouraging people around. So firstly, a growing Christ follower is developing a servant's heart. Secondly, uh, flowing out of this is an authentic desire to encourage one another. Thirdly, someone who is growing spiritually will possess a unifying spirit, a unifying spirit. Now, I'm taking all of this right out of Ephesians 4, what we just looked at. I want you to track with me on this. When a follower of Jesus is closely brought into relationship with Jesus, we become or we should become more conformed to His character and His will. How many of you would agree with that? Just wave at me like this. 
When we come into a relationship, when Christ comes into our life, we should be, what should be actuated in our life, we should, we should reflect His character, His nature. And any kind of desire to divide or anything that would create discord, you know, when we really are sincerely, when we're really becoming that disciple, when we're really growing in our relationship with God, anything that would smack of that it should totally lose its appeal. Now, how do, we, how do we know this? I want you to just look. Again, this is Paul writing to believers in Ephesus, this time, verse 13, the very next verse, the A part here as well. Look at it with me. Verse 13a, until we all reach what? Unity in the faith. See, a lot of times, if you heard this expression, I know you have, we don't know what we don't know. And maybe, maybe you've been around the church for a long, long time. Maybe you've been a part of Victory Church for years. Maybe you just moved here from another area. Maybe you just started coming to church in the last couple of years or so. And, and maybe you didn't realize that it was like your biblical prerogative and responsibility to have this unifying spirit, to just say, you know, I'm, I'm going you know, to do everything that I can to bring peace and unity. We often don't know what we don't know. I, I love this story uh, that I came across some time ago, and it reads like this. Shortly before his death, former Chief Justice Melville W. Fuller was presiding at a church conference, at a church conference. During the heated debate, how many of you know those have happened at church conferences? During the heated debate, a delegate rose and began a tirade against universities and against education, giving thanks to God that he had not been corrupted by contact with any college. I love what Chief Justice Fuller said. This is what he asked, the question he posed, do I understand the speaker talking about the delegate? Do I understand the speaker to be thanking God for his ignorance, interrupted Chief Justice Fuller? Well, Yes, if you want to put it that way, the man answered. I love this. All I have to say then, responded the chief justice, is that you have a great deal to be thankful for. We don't know what we don't know, but if we know what God wants us to do, and it's all a part of growing in our relationship with God and maturing spiritually, always keep this in mind, maturity leads to unity. Number four. Growing Christ followers possess an increasing knowledge about Jesus. Growing Christ followers possess an increasing knowledge about Jesus. Verse 13, this one is not on the screen. It picks up where we left off. Let me just read this one to you. Until we all reach unity in the faith, we talked about that a moment ago, and in the knowledge, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Knowledge can be a really, really positive thing when appropriately used. I want us to read this verse together. This is 2 Peter. Uh, this is not Paul, of course. It's Peter, uh, 2 Peter 3.18. Read this with me. A lot of you are familiar with this verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Growing Christ followers possess an increasing knowledge about Jesus. So before we proceed on, I want to just give you, you know I'm rapidly moving through these, but before we proceed on, just a quick warning concerning knowledge. I said knowledge can be a very powerful thing. It really can. Knowledge about God, God's Word, and all. But if not rightly used, knowledge will often, and you've seen this happen before, knowledge misuse can demolish humility. Let me say that again. Knowledge can be a very, very powerful thing, and when rightfully used, it is, it is awesome what it can, uh, can accomplish to advance the kingdom of God. 
Knowledge misuse will demolish humility, and furthermore, increased knowledge, listen to this now, increased knowledge, even Bible knowledge, does not automatically produce transformed people. You with me on that? All right, I want you to just think about something. Don't nod, don't wink, don't do your head, don't point. But have you ever known somebody that knows a lot of Bible, but they're live, they know about this much, but they're practicing about that much? Knowledge, broad, expansive. Have you ever known somebody that, let me just put it this way, because we're talking about spiritual growth, right? And we're trying to be, again, practical about this. Um, you know, we all know that we ought to love and we ought to, you know, love one another. Jesus said that. Hey, the world's going to know. Remember what Jesus said? The world's going to know you're my disciples because you have what? You have love for one another. Now, if you've been around church at any, uh, for any time at all, uh, you know that you ought to love one another. But have you ever seen, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying because I think this made sense to you. I'm not trying to start anything here. But have you ever seen somebody that maybe that they've been around the church a long, 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 long time, and you just, again, you're not judging, you're not condemning, and you're not elevating yourself above them, you're not trying to be spiritually sanctimonious or anything like that, but you just, I mean, just really, when you just say, hey, they've been a part of a church for a long, long time, but it doesn't appear that they're becoming any loving anymore than the first time they walked through the church. See, knowledge, we have knowledge that we ought to love one another. We ought to love the lost. We ought to love those who are the kingdom of God. But knowledge misplaced can be, can be a disastrous thing. Even Bible knowledge does not automatically produce transformed people. Number five, growing followers of Jesus are developing an unshakable faith. Growing followers of Jesus are developing an unshakable faith. Again, we're staying with the text. This is verse 14, the very next verse. Look at it with me right up here. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Now, just in case you don't know, I'll check this out. Uh, just in case you don't know, infants, you know, there's newborn, like, I'm like, well, what constitutes an infant, you know? What constitutes an infant? And newborns, it's like from the moment that they're birthed up to, you know, two or four months, then from about four months to about a year old, you know, infants, still an infant categorically speaking, one into about four or so toddlers. And, uh, and Paul's just saying here, don't be an infant. Some points you've got to grow up. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity, loved the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to speak on a Sunday morning. Right after that, I don't know if I, ma- I mentioned that I was going to be making a trip. I, I don't think I said that as soon as the service was over, I was going to be flying to Illinois and I was going to go see my grandbabies. And that, that like makes me really, really, and how many of your grandparents understand, makes me really happy. All right, so I was doing that. And so I've just learned, you know, they're long distance. I want to build a relationship. So I have to get into their world. What do they want to do? So I asked the girls ahead of time, Kenley's four, Landry's two, Brody, he's about 10 months. And so I said, what do you girls want to do? Because I wanted to do what they wanted to do, not what Papa wanted to do. So here's what they told me. They wanted to play kitchen, and they wanted to play dollies. And then how many of you remember this game, Candyland? Anybody? I played more games of Candyland than I care to admit to. All right? 
One day, I kid you not, on Tuesday, I spoke here Sunday morning on Tuesday, everybody was gone. So for me, and this was not, you know, I, I'm not accustomed to this. I love them, but I've never, I've never had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a 10-month-old by myself all at the same time. I was praying that Jesus would come. Let the rapture of the church. They're going to heaven. Let's we'll just rise up out of this place. And so I, I played dog. I mean, we did delivery. Put Brody in this little car. He's got pushed him around. We made deliveries to the girls. And, and you know, we did every hide and go seek. And I love the stage. It makes it easy for me uh, when they declare where they're hiding. Hey, let's play. I'll count to 25. And then I start looking. Papa, I'm right here. So that, that helps, you know, that, that helps the game to go quicker. And and so, uh, Brody's starting to walk now. And some of you know, I really believe it's God's will for him to be a quarterback for one of God's, one of God's favorite football teams. So, uh, he's walking toward me, and he really, on this particular occasion, he wanted his pawpaw, and here's a little picture that uh, this is, he's walking toward me, and that's, that's what he's doing. And he's, he's wanting his pawpaw. Isn't he cute? Boy, I'd love to hold that little guy right now. So he's walking toward, and would you agree with me? All right, even if you don't think he's cute, and I'm just blind, and he's not really cute, but because I'm grand, his grandfather, I think he's cute. But wouldn't you say, for the most part, that's a pretty cute infant. And this is really cute. How many of you know, what did I do? I took his picture, and then what? he's got his little hands up, and what did I do? I, of course, I picked him up. And that's, that's cute. It's cute because he's 10 months. How many of you know that's not cute when he's 30 years old? <laughs> that is not cute. If he comes to me doing that when he's 30 years old, first of all, I'm not going to be able to pick him up because I'll be 64, you know, by then, and he'll be two or somewhere abouts, and he'll be… But you know what? If, if a 30-year-old, it's cute when you're 10 months, it ain't cute when you're 30. You have to grow up. Then we will no longer… This is what Paul said. Then we will no longer be infants… Pick me up, help me, help me, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and deceitful scheming. scheming. Now, you and I have the prerogative. We can settle for spiritual infancy and maturity if we desire. If we just say, God, I, I don't really want to grow. I'm content. I just want to be in the kingdom. Just want to know I've got like fire insurance. I'm going into heaven. Don't really want to grow. We can hang out there if we desire. But I'll just declare to you right here, right now, that that will lead to a bumpy ride for you, spiritually speaking, for the rest of your life. Now, wh what do I mean by that? You will be subject to deception. You will be victimized over the course of your life by erroneous teaching that does not line up with the truth and authority of God's Word. Because you'll be in a position, you'll be in a posture where you'll be saying, and I see this so often, it's so heartbreaking, I, I don't really know what I believe. I don't really know what I believe. I don't know the ways of God. You'll be like a boat. Paul is talking about that. You'll be like a boat stranded at sea without a rudder or oars to provide any sense of direction. I'll give, you, I'll give you a little bit of, I'll give you one example here, and I need to hurry because we're about out of time. Here's one example. As a pastor, I run into people all of the time who, it's a variation of this, but often it is so closely paralleled, it's like this, and I'll give you an example. People become mad at God. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you become mad at God. Maybe you're mad at God right now because of something going on, and you don't know who else to blame but, you know, God, and, you know, I'll just blame God. And I've seen this so many times in people who ought not be infants anymore, ought to be growing and maturing, and something happens in their life, and who do they blame? Follow me on this now. Track with me here. They blame God. 
Now, did God create that in their life? The majority of the time, not. But what is unique to me, this is where the enemy's scheming, this is where he's so cunning and so crafty and so clever. What happens is the evil one, now this is what Jesus, this is in John's gospel, Jesus said, and he declares the intention of the evil one right up front, he said the evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus, on the flip side, said, I didn't come to do any of those things. I came to give you life, and not just life, but abundant life. And so the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, follow me on this. So the evil one wreaks havoc in a believer's life, and because they don't know God clearly enough, the character and the nature of God, the evil one brings havoc into their life, and guess who they get mad at? They get mad at God. They get mad at God, and, God had, and God's like, I didn't have anything to do with that. I love you. I want to bless you with life, an abundant life. And the evil one brings this havoc into their life. They get mad at God, and firstly, the evil one is delighted that he has brought havoc into their life. But you know what only optimizes that? He's excited because now the person, instead of being mad at him who created in the first place, because became mad at God who had nothing to do with it. Does this make sense to anybody tonight? But who would I blame? I've got to blame God because I don't know who else to blame. I don't think to blame the evil one. I'm certainly not going to blame myself. So I blame God. Growing followers of Jesus are developing an unshakable faith. Lastly, a growing believer is active in, let's call it truthing love. Truthing love. Look at it right here. Right here on the screen. Right now it says, let's grow, but it's about to change. I promise it's coming. Like, right. Okay. I'll just read it. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, we're about to wrap up, but I want to ask you a question before we're done. Which of these best describes you? I'm all about truth. I'm all about truth. I'm all about truth. Great. That's wonderful. But if you're all about truth, be sure you don't forfeit compassion. You with me on this? I just want to tell you what I think. All right. Good. Got it. All right. I'm all about truth. Great. Does it forfeit compassion? The antithesis of that, well, I'm, I'm not all about, I'm, I'm all about love, which, wish we had more time to talk about it, often overlooks correction. If I'm all about truth, I may forfeit compassion. If I'm all about love, I may overlook correction. Why can't there be both? Truth and love. Speak the truth in love. A growing believer is active in truth and love. Let me give you three quick action steps, and then we're done. Number one, seek humility. Just seek humility. That puts you in a position where you can grow to just seek. You know, God, I'm utterly dependent upon you for everything in my life. Apart from you, you know, I can't do a thing. I am so, God, I need you. I depend upon you. Seek humility. Number two, become hungry for God's truth. Become hungry for God's truth. Guys, I know that I'm a little bit out of order, and I apologize, but I want everybody to see this statement. Wayne Cadero, it's a great statement. I want you to see it. So if you'll jump down to that, I want you to see it. Thank you, God. Look at this. God is intimately acquainted with our ways, and he's more concerned about transformation than information. 
talked about that a little while ago. Our daily times of the Word, hopefully you have that, our daily times of the Word are not necessarily designed to produce theologians. The primary purpose is to produce what? Disciples. Become hungry for God's truth. Lastly, develop an expanding love for Christ's body. Jesus loves His church. Do you believe that? And you and I are part of that church. We ought to love each other, not just in word, but in deed, and encourage. You know, I just think about that, and you can go ahead and stand. We're done. But I just think about that. What if you and I just said, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this right away, like tomorrow. And, and maybe you just say, I'm not like known where I work. It's Mr. or Mrs. Encouragement. I'm like maybe, truth be told, not the, you know, the most positive person where I'm at, school, work, whatever. But you know what? I can do that. I can, I can encourage. I can serve. I can love. I can help. I want to grow. I want to become everything that God intended for me to be. Can I leave you with this thought tonight before we pray? Never, ever settle for anything less than what is God's very best for your life. Never settle for anything less than what is God's best for your life. Now, here's how we're going to end. We're going to pray around this altar, those of you that have need. I didn't have time, nor is it the time to get into it tonight, but there are often impediments to spiritual growth in our life. See, some of you you have within you, and I know this, you have the desire within you to grow. Everything that I was mentioning, all sits, you're like a scent to, you're like, amen, yeah, that's what I want, that's what I need, uh, that's what I believe. But how many of you know that sometimes life gets in the way, and there's challenges, and there's problems? A young lady came up to me after the 11 o'clock service at our South Campus today, and she's a, she's a wonderful young lady, young professional, and she's just got tears. Uh, coming down her, her cheeks. And I'm like, I, I, didn't, I didn't even share a message that had anything to do with tears, so I knew it wasn't that. But she has tears. And she's just saying, man, a couple of days ago, I was just so utterly discouraged. And she's not like that. That's not really her normal personality. But she's like us. And then she began to tell me why. And I'm like, oh, man, I get that. I didn't say it to her. But I'm like, listen, if that had happened to me, I'd been, like, absolutely wiped out, emotionally speaking, as well. And so you and I intend to be all that God intends us to be. But sometimes life gets in the way. And maybe you're walking through a challenge right now at your job. And you're like, man, I, I don't even know what to do. If it gets any worse, I, you know, and Jeff, I really want to be a positive person. I want to be like somebody that, you know, speaks positive words, encourage people. But where I, it's just like so out of whack that, you know, and it, life is getting in the way. Maybe at home, maybe in your finances, maybe in your health, maybe a strained relationship. Life sometimes gets in the way and it becomes an impediment to becoming the person that God wants us to be. Let me leave you with another it's never too late to become the person that you want to be. It's not. God's going to help you. Maybe tonight before you'd leave, you'd just say, hey, I want somebody to pray with me. I want somebody to agree with me. I want to be all that God intended for me to be, but I need help with this. And if God would help me with this and I could set it aside, I know it's only going to stimulate me to grow more and more. So the worship team is going to sing whatever it may be in your health, in your finances, in your job, in relationships, your marriage. It doesn't matter. What, life sometimes is tough. And we want to agree with you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray with you. That's what the body of Christ does. Jesus loves his body. Would you agree? And we've got to love each other and pray for each other. So you come as they begin to sing.
We'll just be hanging around the altars tonight if you felt you needed to come and for whatever reason you didn't. We want you to come. We want to pray. Life sometimes gets in the way from what God intends for our life. I want us to pray right now. Maybe you just take your hands and you just lift them heavenward and you just sort of make this your prayer. We make it our prayer as a church family. God, we want to grow. We want to grow in our walking relationship with you. We don't want to be stymied. We don't want to move backward. We don't want to be neutral. We want to grow in our walking relationship with you, God. We don't want to just have information. We want to be transformed. We don't want to just have knowledge. Paul even said knowledge can sometimes puff up, make us arrogant. God, it's not about having knowledge. It's about you helping us to become everything you intended for us to be. So for all of us here tonight, all of our church family, that we may grow in your grace and in your knowledge. And God, not settle for anything less than what is your very best for each of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I love you, everybody. See you back here Wednesday night. Have an awesome time. Have an awesome time.